Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement Podcast on the Family Podcast Network. I am your host, Cheats, and we have a special episode for you right now. Todd Radom is one of the best graphic designers in the entire country. He has a legacy of work that is unparalleled. He has designed the logo for Super Bowl 38. He's designed the logo for the Basketball Hall of Fame. Closer to home, he's even designed the logo for the Washington Nationals. We have a wide-ranging conversation about his career, graphic design, sports, all things in between. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Radom on the Cheats Movement. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement Podcast. It is brought to you on the Family Podcast Network. I am your host, Cheats, and I am so, so excited to have a really special, and it's going to be a really fun conversation with, how can I describe our guest? it's, It's pretty difficult, but what I will say is, it is very rare that you get to talk to someone in any field, in any field that I would consider at the top of their game uh, and has a legacy of work that speaks for itself. So no matter what it is, it's very rare that you get to talk to someone that I feel like is at the top of their game and peak performance. And when it comes to design, whether it's graphic design, whether it's sports logos, uh, our guest is clearly at the top of the game. Todd Radome is here. He is a, you may not know Todd, but you know his work for sure, because he has done some of the most iconic logos in sports history and working on a bunch of new ones. So Todd, welcome to the Cheats Movement Podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Appreciate your kind words, and I'm looking forward to chatting today. I'm excited about this, and I've been looking forward to it uh, for a while I will tell you, you came on my radar. Your work's always been on my radar because I'm a longtime sports fan. And things that you don't really think about, like, say, a, a, a Super Bowl logo or I'm, I'm in, we're in Richmond, Virginia, the Washington Nationals logo. You might look at the logo and say, that's really cool. But somebody has to design that. And oftentimes, a lot of times, that someone is you, uh, it, which is which is really, really crazy. Let's get into um, how long, like, let's get into the journey because I think it's, it's important. Um, how did your love for art drawing turn into a, a, a lengthy and highly achievable career? Uh, and in particular sports, because we're all, we're, I'm a huge baseball fan, I'm a huge basketball fan. I know you've done so much. Um, but how did your love for art, I'm assuming at a very young age, transition into where you are now with some of with some of the most iconic sports logos of all time? Well, I mean, a couple of things. Number one, I always say I was born at the right time uh, and entered into the field of sports design at a time when really nobody else was doing it. There were very few people involved in this. Uh, it was the early 1990s. And this was at a moment when leagues, professional leagues, Every professional league in North America was adding expansion teams, teams were moving, and there was a boom in licensing, stuff with logos on it. But to back up even further, uh, I come from a family of artists. I am a fourth generation working artist. My dad sort of cobbled out a creative career doing various things in design and photography and copywriting along the way. His father, my grandfather, was a fine artist and illustrator. Uh, I've got a cousin who's a jazz drummer. I've got a brother who's a photographer. So I always say that my creative role models were uh, were right there with me the whole while. And I'm fortunate in that I was exposed to art and design at a very early age. But at the same time, um, I learned pretty early on that you could make a living doing this. And wow. not everybody uh, gets the the you know. That the, the 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 leeway basically to perceive to pursue a, a, a career in the arts. So um, I would say that I was one of these kids who was a sports fan, 
not necessarily a great athlete or by any means, <laughs> but I always looked at sports through a little bit of a different lens. Um, you know, I'd watch games on TV or I would go to, uh, you know, Yankees games, Mets games growing up in the New York area. I'd go to games with my father and uh, I'd observe what players were wearing and what the visual culture of sports was. So you kind of move that on down the line to the moment that I referenced just a little while ago. And uh, there is being born at the right time um, and coming along at a moment when, um, you know, there was a need for uh, for the kind of stuff that I do and the kind of things that I'm interested in. And so talk to me about that transition, because it's I think especially modern day, I, I see a lot of you know, we're around creatives all the time and there's more and more creatives than ever before. And obviously I think folks, especially contemporary uh, artists now, you know, they might carve out, they might be able to carve out an album cover for their friend. They might be able to even, even ones that have extremely uh, training in higher education. Um, you know, they might find their way into an agency per se, but I'm sure they're all looking up to say, <laughs> Like, wouldn't this be so cool? There's like, you know, expansion opportunities, expansion teams. I'd love and we're going to get into some of the some of the new designs that have taken place over over kind of this. I want to say this year, last year. I know that you have an opinion on, on some of those as well. But I understanding that it is a different time than in, say, the 90s. What was the moment for you that you were able to say, hey, I can merge these passions that I have a passion for sports but also a passion for art um and, and really um start to pursue kind of just getting some you know getting some activity getting some accounts getting some work and, and in the sports realm yeah I mean so I came up at a time when uh design and you know design advertising illustration was done traditionally it was done with our hands Right. So it was shortly before computerization occurred. And uh, I graduated from college in 1986. I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Um, and I started to work in book publishing, right. uh, designing book covers. And of course, New York being the epicenter of the publishing industry sure. then and now. And also a place, uh, obviously, the, the epicenter of advertising. Uh, and media uh, at that point in the United States. So there were plenty of opportunities to, you know, to pursue design work. At that time, I was uh, involved in doing hand lettering, literally lettering by hand. Right. And it was a very valuable uh, skill. So I, I basically, you know, even while working full time, uh, I worked up uh, a pretty good portfolio of clients uh, and connections, human connections, people I went to college with, um, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, um, working in book publishing, I was the guy who always was given sports books. Todd loves this stuff. Give him sports <laughs> books, right? And nice. so I, I accrued a pretty good literal portfolio, which in those days was like a box that you would bring around your printed samples in. Right. Uh, and I found out in 1990 or 91 that Major League Baseball was uh, opening up an in-house creative department. Oh, I wow. read about this in, you know, an advertising industry magazine or something. Wow. And back in those days, you would literally bring around your portfolio, your box with printed samples in it, and you would drop it off. Uh, you know, you'd call ahead. Um, Say I want to go to an advertising agency. Well, we accept drop-offs of portfolios on Thursday mornings at you know between sure. nine and ten a.m. I'm paraphrasing. That's and hilarious. you would you could pick it up after four. And usually you would drop off your stuff, and there would be a note in it, a pre-printed note, which would say thank you very much for your interest in you know uh, we'll call you. Well, I found out about this opportunity at Major League Baseball. Cold called, dropped off my portfolio. And lo and behold, I picked the thing up at the conclusion of the workday, and there was a note in it which said, why don't you come in? Let's talk. Nice. So there was my foot in the door. Uh, it was with uh, their first creative director, a woman named Ann Osi, who just retired last year. Oh, wow. 30-year run at That's Major awesome. League Baseball. Yep, exactly. And she really you know, was responsible for 
the look of the sport during these incredibly uh, important years, right? More teams, more stuff, the move to digital, everything. So got my foot in the door at baseball, wound up doing some work with the NBA, led to the NFL, led to doing stuff with business partners, broadcast partners, et cetera, et cetera. And here we are many years later, and uh, I'm still involved. This is this is so awesome because it reminds me the time you're describing and I'm a big hip hop head and it reminds me of DJs telling us like, oh, yeah, in the 90s, I used to have to carry my crates around to do yeah. like when you're talking about the portfolios, like, yeah, we would go to the club. I would just have to bring records, 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 records. And like now they show up and it's like, I got a laptop. I don't have to bring crates and crates and crates of records. Uh, yeah. But there's something about that time period, right? There's something about that. And I'm, I graduated high school in 96. I'm like, I'm right. In, so I, I remember I'm very familiar with what you're describing. Um, just a side note, as art has transformed, did, was it difficult for you in, in, in any way to transition from, what the you know computers and technology has changed everything yeah. as an artist has that been a, a difficult transition going from what you used to do to now and everything's on kind of you know it's it's definitely on it's definitely on digital but it could be on your ipad drawing it out yourself like has there been a transition as an artist that you found is do you find it easy or is it difficult or well a couple of things i would say first thing that uh, again doing it, you know, learning the traditional methods, like the old school, like you said, you know, no different than hauling your stuff around. It was a very tactile <laughs> sure. uh, DIY experience. And at that time, uh, at the time that things started to go digital, so this was 1992, 93. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was later. No, it was, that was yeah, the, yeah. early 90s. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and like, I was making a good living. And so there was not a whole lot of a compelling reason. Like I'm going to blow up my, you know, entire business model and, and uh, you know, and pursue this, but I was interested in the technology. Uh, I totally remember going to this uh, Apple symposium in New York city in like, you know, 1990 and looking at this equipment and it was incredibly expensive stuff too, but I made the transition in 1992. I invested oh, wow. in what was then, you know, top of the line stuff. So you had to get a laser printer. You had to get one of these behemoth CRT monitors. Cheats, this thing was like, you know, it, sure. it, it, I, it was like a small car, basically. Uh, right. Um, so it was before the use of the Internet with design, you know, okay. shortly yeah. before. And anyway, I was renting office space at that time. I was working for myself. Uh, left my last full-time job in 1990. So I was working for myself and, you know, it was an investment, but uh, I'll tell you, it was, I, I feel very fortunate because, um, you know, I, again, born at the right time, learning, learning design uh, traditionally, the tactile part of it and knowing, you know, the digital part of it as I do. And as I have for the last 30 years, um, gives me a foot in both worlds, right? Sure. And uh, and I am, you know, I'm a tech guy. I mean, like I can happily exist with just my phone in my pocket uh, and go about my business. But like, you know, if I'm away and if somebody asks me for a file, uh, I've got 30 years of archives on Dropbox, which is just mm. an amazing thing. You That's, think about that. I, I t but the the foresight in '92 to say I'm going to embrace this. It may not. Maybe maybe we're a little spoiled in 2022 because I feel like new technology pops up every other day and you have to make yeah. a choice, right? Like, am I going to go in this direction? But have the foresight in 92 to say, this is the future and I see it. I'm sure a lot of your contemporaries didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, again, being uh, fairly young at the time, it was like, <laughs> all right, you know, all this makes sense. And again, being, uh, um, you know, able to make that investment uh, monetarily into it and say, okay, this is, it's not only like, this is the way it's going to be um, right place, right time. Again, uh, I can totally remember the first file I ever sent online. So mm -hmm. I got myself this, I think it was like a, what was called a 4,800 baud modem uh, on CompuServe. And I had, <laughs> I had to send a guy a font 
in Virginia, I think it was, or Maryland, oh, somewhere in the capital. Day. And I'm like, you know, I'm on the phone with the guy. I'm like, has it come through yet? It's been 40 minutes. He's like, no, we got to do this. We gotta... So you think about that and you think sure. about the ability as uh, artists to, you know, use an entire toolbox full of uh, a paint box full of colors and be able to reverse decisions. Command Z is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is. <laughs> and have, it is. You know, yeah. So, um, so you know, it's great. Uh, I work, uh, work on a laptop with a big monitor. Uh, I work on the iPad uh, with an Apple Pencil as well, able to illustrate on there. And again, you know, um, all the stuff is great. And I uh, can't imagine, I can't imagine it having done it the old way, but it involved rubber cement and like <laughs> chemicals and exacto blades. And like, you know, it was not, uh, it was not safe or healthy or pretty necessarily. So, so Todd, you've gotten some big calls. Some people would say in the world that you're in, the biggest call to do an assignment. Nothing bigger. If you talk to an entertainer, you talk to a, um, you know, kind of a media personality, nothing bigger than the Super Bowl. You've had the opportunity to design the official Super Bowl logo, which was which was Super Bowl 38. What number was yep. it? That's right. Walk me through how how someone gets that call and how you feel about it. Well, I mean, you nailed it. It is, you know, they touted as the biggest one day sporting event on the face of the earth. And I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in the United States. You know, it's a national holiday. It's one of the few things that brings people together, especially these days. Right. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and and, you know, there are Super Bowls that even if you're not invested in the sport, you remember who you're with, blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it's a, it is a very big deal, to say the least. Um, and, you know, the ramifications of having successfully navigated a Super Bowl logo, it's kind of like, you know, I've, I've got like, you know, I'm, I'm bulletproof, basically. If somebody comes to me asking to do, you know, an identity for, I'm thinking of, you know, something not even in sports, like, you know, are you, can you do that? I'm like, I designed a Super Bowl logo. I can pretty much do anything. Uh, right so that's like, yeah that's like a mic drop what do you do after that well but not only that but like you think about and and it is a fact even you know without the inside knowledge of it navigating the process of creating a super bowl logo knowing that there are so many stakeholders involved sure. with this thing um yeah i mean like it's like you know what been there done that so anyway um my work with the nfl at that time um really came about uh, as the result of having worked with MLB and the NBA um, and a lot of, you know, common business partners for what had been a while at that point. And, you know, you know how, like, there are so many things in our journey uh, professionally and in life itself, which sort of allow for a little bit of a climb to hopefully something that that is significant. And um, that's really the way that took place. So it was quite a process. It, uh, I was very fortunate. <laughs> you got to yeah. walk me through the call. Is it a call? Is it an e Like, how do you know you get the gig? Like, well, how do you even know that you're like up for the gig? Like, this, I, I, I want people to understand, like, because this doesn't happen to a lot of folks. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, just, you know, it's, it, it's it was amazing. different then, too. I, I'm, I will, you know, flat out say again, smaller world, sure. uh, you know, a lot of different dynamics. But at that particular time, I had been doing work with the NFL for a couple of years, you know, smaller projects, mm -hmm. everything sm small in the Super Bowl, certainly. But it's almost to some extent like uh, I was, you know, worked up through almost, you know, I'll throw it to another sport, a baseball analogy. Sure. You, you start in you start in the low minors, you work your way up. Eventually you're in AAA, you get the call up to the bigs and uh, you have uh, an opportunity to, to, you know, if you're lucky and good, perform on the biggest stage. And that's really how it worked. Um, so my, rec my recollection is that at the time there was uh, typically a bake-off, as we would call it in our industry. <laughs> a couple of people were sure. called into, uh, were commissioned, paid nice. to do, you know, first round sketches. Here is the assignment. The Super Bowl, it's a lot of Roman numerals. Super Bowl logos now, 
of course, are pretty standardized, right? They are standardized. But at that time, the logo reflected uh, something visual uh, having to do with the city in which the game was being played. So the assignment was, all right, you know, you are going to pursue a, you know, it should look like this. Here are the colors you're going to use for the most part. Uh, here's what it needs to be. Come back in two weeks with, you know, with sketches. And uh, I navigated the process. What can I say? Nice. <laughs> well, that is amazing. And it's just, again, only a handful of individuals have this assignment. You were able to not only do it, but knock it out. And, uh, you know, for all of the time, like for the rest of history, when you see all the Super Bowl logos, you, you're going to be able uh, it's that's that's phenomenal. That's it's just got to be an amazing uh, feeling and an accomplishment. But obviously it's not your only one. You have a number, a number of accomplishments. And one of the ones that stands out uh, not too long ago was an award that you won for a season ticket package, right? For the Chicago White Sox. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I would say like, I do a lot of different things. I've got, I'm a five tool player. If you want to look at it that way. Sure. In the sure. sense that I'm a, I'm a designer, but I'm also an illustrator. I am a typographer. I'm also a writer and an author, but in the case of the White Sox um, situation, uh, I was uh, called in to design their season ticket package. Right. So uh, it's now, had, to, you, had you done something like that before? Like, is that something uh, that you I were kind of designed? Used to? I, I had designed tickets here and there, okay, but okay. Uh, a, a baseball team season ticket package, which was really uh, designed to look very, you know, it was for premium season tickets. So the concept was here are 81 little pieces of art, 81 home games contained within a very beautiful box. And uh, the, the 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 project basically pictorially described the entire history of the Chicago White Sox, 117 years or whatever it was at that point. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I dug deep and a great creative direction uh, from the ball club, uh, a little bit of a marathon of a project, but to your <laughs> point earlier, and I appreciate you bringing it up, uh, um, I'm very proud of the fact that it was selected for inclusion into the permanent collection of the National Baseball Hall of Fame yes. and Museum in Cooperstown. So it's the closest I'll ever be You're a Hall of Famer. being a Hall of Famer, Chiefs. That's it. You're a Hall of Famer. I Yeah, in my own way. Right. Todd, what <laughs> what do people not fully understand, especially the layman? Like myself, I look at a uniform, I look at a logo, I'll tell you almost instantly, oh, that's good. That's not good. That's hot. That's right. not hot. I'm a hat collector. I'm like, I want to wear that hat. I don't want to wear that hat. What do they, what do people don't understand about the process from start to finish when you're working on, especially on a sports logo? Wow, what a great, great question. And like, you just like, it, 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 here's the thing, you know, we have a lot of people making logos and creating uniforms and posting them online. And it's great. I mean, you know, some are great. Some are not so great. Uh, I am you know, always just amazed at the interest in this kind of stuff, but uh, without disparaging anybody's work or their uh, reasons for doing so, a lot of people don't understand the fact that, that, uh, that this kind of stuff is not done in a vacuum. It is a very collaborative process. And as I always say, uh, you know, one victory is usually built upon a mountain of defeats, right? Meaning that for every successful team logo that I've been able to navigate my way through and that has seen the light of day, there are tons that just never got approved, never happened for whatever reason. And again, uh, we talk about professional sports. We talk about the visibility of what this stuff gets applied to and the fact that it needs to get gigantically big. It needs to reduce down to tiny proportions there's always a weakest link in the chain in terms of, you know, somebody making a belt buckle with a logo like those kind of considerations. And the fact that, again, it is a process to just navigate your way through this stuff. And sometimes it can take, you know, a year and a half, two years. Um, that's what most people don't, um, you know, aren't aren't privy to necessarily. So they're not going to know about it. 
Uh, and we are full of visceral reactions. Uh, there's no question. <laughs> we care. I mean, you know, that's that's the great, you know, wonderful challenge about working on stuff that people actually care about. Sure. I always say, like, you know, you're going to see somebody with a, uh, you know, a lot. Somebody somewhere right now has a Washington Commanders logo We're tattooed bring this on up. them. <laughs> yeah, it's tattooed on them, and and like it's a permanent part of their body, right? And somebody thinks that it absolutely sucks, right? So, so, so this is a good this is a good segue because I was going to ask you about a couple of the, the new logos, in particular the Commanders and the Guardians. Um, but th- I think I read a quote. I could be wrong, but this the feeling that I got was that they could have done anything. Uh, I'm a Washington football team fan, and. I remember when they announced, hey, we're going to call the club the Washington football team. And everybody went crazy and said, oh, it's the worst decision ever, blah, blah, blah. Two years later, they're like, okay, we're going to officially change the name. Everybody's like, I kind of like Washington football team. We made the playoffs, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like Alex Smith led us to the playoffs. We're going to be, you know, it it, it it gave some equity. Right, it gave some equity. It has some. Um, And so my feeling is no matter what that football team would have done, it's going to be like the 80, 20, 75, 35. Everybody's going to say something bad about it. And Absolutely. then, you know, if they win a couple games or people get used to it, they'll be like, hey, Commanders. Yeah. What, do, what, yeah. do you, what, what do you think of the Washington Commanders' uh, rollout and, and new design? So let's, let's split it into two pieces, right? Because there's the name and there's the visual identity. And the name and the reasons for the club re branding themselves in every conceivable sense sure. uh it's for a reason right and and again we can you know we can speak to the controversies about this i'll just go on record with you as saying like i always felt that redskins was a pejorative horrible name yeah and it I, needed I to be yeah, yeah. and I'm, and like you know i'm, I'm well I, past that yeah exactly and listen you know we you know same thing with the indians right i mean i i think sequentially Redskins had to go first. And the moment that this happened in the wake of uh, a massive social justice movement uh, in this country that, that, yeah, I mean, you know, the moment was right for that. Sure. And clearly, you know, if you're a fan of that team, I'm not telling you anything you don't know here. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is a franchise that has not enjoyed a lot of success in any way, shape or form for quite some time. Yeah. So ripping that bandaid off and calling them something other than what they were, I think, you know, good thing. As far as the name Commanders, you know, it's fine. I mean, as you said, with, with regard to football team, uh, you, will, you will have new memories and hopefully successful ones at a certain sure. point in time. Yeah, and you're going to see players inhabit these uniforms uh, and, you know, it's going to become real. It won't just be a, you know, a theoretical thing. So then we move on to the visual identity. And candidly, and I you know, did make comments about this in the Washington Post and a couple of other online publications. Uh, I, I was a little underwhelmed, I would put it. Um, I felt that the identity was a little uh, vanilla, uh, could be anything, could be a transit system. There wasn't a lot of football necessarily attached to it. Right. Didn't seem like a sports logo. Didn't have a lot of meat on the bones, if you want to look at it that way. The uh, colors, you know, retaining the colors, um, was must. a no-brainer. You got it. No-brainer. It's a must. Yeah, you got it is. yeah, and and they're great colors too, and that is a way to bring fans along. But uh, but the idea of you know that that crest, uh, which had to re- be reworked, <laughs> some, con- yeah, some, some con- controversial on the crest. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it just you know there's a lot of sure. a lot of things disconnected about it. But here too, you know, once you once you see this attached to actual players. Uh, running around in actual uniforms and you get a couple of wins, uh, I suspect it'll look better and feel better. I think, yeah, I think winning will, will change it faster, right? If the if yeah. team has, this, has, the, has the outcome as they did this previous year coming off a playoff year, it's, it's going to be bad. And the name's going to be blamed for a really long time, right? So, yeah. I, I, uh, but in the same sentiment, I, I um, wrote an article a while back um, because I, I really believe that, and I'm sure you've seen this throughout your career, people adjust to change much yeah. better 
than we give our like give ourselves credit for. Like, like everybody thinks like, oh, if this is this happens, the world's gonna go, you know. And it's like, no, people are people are now used to you know every expansion team that comes, you know, it's it's an adjustment period. And now you know my son seven, the Oklahoma City Thunder is normal to him, right? Yeah, you, yeah. And, and hey, I I was brought in to uh, do the the Thunder visual identity. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, when when the Sonics moved. To Oklahoma, whoa, and what I whoa, did, whoa, big, it never, big. it never saw the light of day. It never saw the light of day. <laughs> that was so, a big challenge because that was a controversial move at the time, right? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, for somebody like me, I mean, and again, uh, great, a great example in your relative backyard, and you touched on it. Uh, I was brought in to do the Washington Nationals when the Montreal Expos moved to the district in two thousand four into two thousand five. Um, and you know, there are great things attached to that. Uh, but there were some, you know, there were people that wanted to name them senators. And I remember hearing at that time, the the mayor of Washington said to commissioner Bud Selig, commissioner, this is Washington, DC. We have taxation without representation. We have no senators here. And he was right. Right. I would, I would, I would think the, the nostalgia alone would have, would have led Senator like Walter Johnson players of that you know back in that day right right and and and, you know there there were people who wanted grays in honor of the great homestead grays right who split their split their schedule between pittsburgh Pittsburgh and and washington yeah the washington homestead grays and that's you're exactly right that's crazy yep and so eventually nationals was you know people people were not I, i think people were thrilled to have baseball back in the district for the first time in I think 33 years, 34 years at that point, but we're underwhelmed in some instances by the name and the look of it. But as you said, uh, <laughs> now, yeah, you know, now look, we're world, world series champions. We're fine. That's, and you, I was going to say, you know, great. what a great, a great thing <laughs> for me was to have been down there for the world series. That's I went awesome. to game. I went to games four and five uh, at nationalist park. So in some small way to have been part of this before it was a thing and to see the enormity of this and to see sports bring people together of, you know, all kinds of different people uh, and make them happy. It was, it was pretty neat. That's awesome. I, and to, really quickly, I want to bring it back to what, I, um, because what I was saying was about people in change was I wrote an article a long time ago that said, look, chief Wahoo's going to go away and no one's going to care. For the this is for the Cleveland Indians now and the Cleveland Gar- uh, Guard uh, Guardians, and so that's a uh, obviously given the time that we're in in March of 2022, we're probably not going to see the Guardians for for the foreseeable future, which is a whole yeah, other yeah. whole another can of worms. But uh, what did you think when you saw the uh, the change from you know obviously Washington's football team was an iconic franchise with a lot of history. Cleveland, I'm reading a book now about the 1948 Cleveland World Series because they had Larry Doby and Satchel Paige on a team with Bob Feller and obviously the, the, the amazing owner that they had back in the day. So a lot of history in Cleveland. What did you think of the move uh, to the Guardians? Well, here you go, Chiefs. Like being around for a long time means that I actually knew Larry Doby. Larry Doby worked in the baseball commissioner's office in the 90s. I would be standing there waiting for the elevator, and here comes Larry Doby. And I'm like, my God, it's Larry Doby. He's just a very nice man, right? That's unreal. I also uh, met the man who created Chief Wahoo, a man named Walter Goldbach. I met him in Cleveland in the 90s. He created that logo, that piece of art, when he was 17 years old and went to his grave you know, understandably saying, listen, I never meant to offend anybody, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, everything converges, right? Wahoo, you know, there were discussions about about, um, uh, getting rid of Wahoo going as far back as 1971. So why did it take 50 years? Why did it take, it was, you you know, it, it eventually, you know, the perception is, and I don't think there's a smoking gun on this, but uh, the the Cleveland Ball Club uh, hosted the Major League Baseball All Star Game in sure. uh, 2019, and you know it was thought there was a quid pro quo. Like the only way you're going to host an All Star Game 
you got to get rid of Wahoo, right? Mm -hmm. And it was going to happen. It was Mm going to happen. And it's a good thing it happened. So anyway, to answer your question, Guardians. Guardians, I think it's a pretty good name. I think Guardians, yeah, I mean, it's very aspirational. There's a reason for that, for people who might be listening, who are not aware of it. Uh, There is this incredible looking bridge with these heroic Art Deco figures called the Guardians of Transportation, I believe it's called. And that is right, you know, leads right to uh, Progressive Field, the uh, ball club's home. Uh, so it has a real great local angle. But there too, you know, it's weird. The uh, the name and the logo really kind of like got out there in a big hurry last year. Almost I, seemed I, like I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very hasty. Um, so there too, not a lot, not a very robust visual package. Um, it almost seemed like, you know, they kind of shoehorned the Guardians Indians, I-A-N-S, kept the same colors. You know, it kind of looks the same in terms of the lettering sure. from a distance, script versus this jagged thing. I don't know. We'll see how they, you know, hopefully they play, uh, to your point. But, uh, but there too, you know, you nailed it. Like, you know, people hate, people hate change instinctively, especially now where we can opine instantaneously sure. uh, with, with just the, the press of a, of a, a finger <laughs> on a button. Um, but we get used to things. And I suspect that if the Cleveland Guardians, Cleveland Indians have not won a World Series since 1948, maybe the Guardians will do better. And then all of a sudden, it's a great thing. I want to ask you about some of the fun stuff you're doing with the big three. And obviously, uh, one pretty iconic uh, NBA logo that you did as well, but I'm going to, I'm going to change gears just a little bit. Cause I can tell just by having a conversation with you that you are a, a baseball baseball fan, such as I am. Um, and obviously we've lived through so many iterations of baseball and, and I actually think baseball is so they, the players and the young stars that they have right now. And if you're talking about Tatis or Vlad jr. Or Shohei Otani, They've got this really, really amazing opportunity um, to highlight, like, like to really make baseball cool again. To be honest, because I feel yep. like one of their challenges is a lack of coolness compared to the NBA and the NFL. Totally. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, again, this is a left field question. Definitely not in any of your expertise. But that's that's my question. I, I'm always concerned when I look at. Um, African-American, in particular, American African-American baseball players and the numbers are going down. I know baseball's throwing a bunch of initiatives, RBI or whatever it is, and the late Henry Aaron was working on a bunch of stuff as well. My question, though, is I tend to think coolness and culture matter. And baseball's just behind. Like, how, how, like as someone that is focused so much on aesthetic and design and things yeah. being culturally cool, how do we make baseball cool again? I think a certain amount of it's luck, to be honest with you. Hmm. So you talk about when you grew up and a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. is the face of the game. Absolutely. And talk about cool, talk about accessible, talk about, thank goodness, you know, clean in terms of the steroid era. Sure. Talk about a guy who wore his cap backwards, who Turned had so much, so much sizzle and sauce and was uh, the spokesman for so many different products and very accessible. And that smile was electric. I mean, maybe you need to catch lightning in a bottle like that and get lucky. You make a great point, and you know it. Um, African-American participation in baseball, particularly over the last, let's say, 15 years with kids, with you know travel teams, sure. and the fact that the game has become very expensive to play. It used to be like, you know, growing up, where I grew up, uh, you know, we played stickball. You got like a broomstick and a small Dean, like a pinky ball. And maybe if you had like a a lawn chair, it could serve as a strike zone and you go out and play until the sun comes down. Right. And one of the great things about basketball is the fact that, and we'll get the, you know, big three, three on three, all you use a ball and a hoop and three, three human beings and you can do it. So I think baseball needs to get lucky. You're right. We have some incredible young stars, Vlad Guerrero jr. Guy like Tatis, yep. Trout, who is not charismatic, but yeah, you know. I, di- I dismiss Trout. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, and, Trout and like, is the, you know, uh, probably Sho- the Shohei Otani doing Trout. unbelievable things. 
So baseball sometimes shoots itself in the foot in terms of how the game is marketed. But I think one thing that bears pointing out is the fact that, and like you, uh, I love baseball, but the games are like the quality of the product. I'm just going to say it is just abysmal in the sense that the games are too long. There are too many home runs. The outcomes, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure, like all, it's 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 unwatchable in a lot of ways. And you compare that to watching an NBA game, sure. where you get these incredibly compelling personalities who are coming into the arena with all kinds of, you know, sure. they they show them. You know what I'm saying? It's like sure. so. It, half of it is so. Part of it is the game itself on the field. Part of it is how it's marketed, and part of it is luck. I, you know. Because I think you're exactly right about Griffey. Um, and I know Griffey's works at MLB and does some, some really great things now. There's there, but there there's also this streak of players like Bo Jackson, right? And Deion yeah. Sanders. And it was like Griffey was like, like, you know, just like all American cool, right? And then there was these like guys that you didn't quite know. They were almost a bit like sinister, right? Like you didn't know how cool they would be. Oh, there, and, there's a dangerous element attached to somebody like Deion Sanders, especially oh, at that time. Absolutely. Playing two sports. Yeah. Up, yeah like as, as hip hop is emerging and, you know, a little bit of a different, you know, I'm a, I always say I'm a child of the seventies and growing up in New York, I went to the 77 world series. Okay. Reggie Jackson is the king of New York at that time. Sure. That guy just like, he had a candy bar named after him. Talk <laughs> about like prominent black athlete in New York City, the media capital of the world at that moment in time. Sure. On the, you know, this, yeah. I mean, so that's awesome. part of it is there too. Like, I keep saying it, right place, right time. All right. Let's, because uh, you have been amazing with your time and there's a, I could talk to you for days about all the amazing work, but I definitely want to hit on two big things. The big three, which is fairly new. Uh, was it year four, year five now? Um, We're going into the fifth season and we lost a year because of the pandemic. And so this is obviously a league that was created by hip hop icon legend um, Ice Cube. And yep. originally, it's three on three half court basketball. Most of it is with players that are really just, just out of the league in many sorts. Um, I remember because again, I'm from Virginia and I'm obligated uh, to mention Allen Iverson anytime Virginia is bought up. Uh, sure. but, but Iverson was one of the, I want to say inaugural players, inaugural teams. I don't know how many games he got in at the time, but, but just starting something from scratch time, uh, like, like the big three has, um, and really make it in a concept uh, and making it a really big product TV contract. And they're, they're just doing really great things. Uh, how did you get involved with the big three and, and tell us a little bit about what, what, what you've been doing with them? Yeah. So uh, it was the fall of 2016. So we're going back a little ways mm -hmm. and uh, the people who were forming that league, including ice cubes, you know, uh, music people, let's just put it that way, uh, found me. They just found me online and uh, we started working on stuff. And I was, uh, after a very short amount of time, introduced to Cube. Uh, we had a phone call. You know, I got an email from him. This is Cube, you know, and basically <laughs> saying how much how much he's looking forward to this, how much fun it's going to be. And the thing I always say is like people don't realize this about Ice Cube. Um, when he was a very young man, before NWA hits big, before he becomes Ice Cube, sure. he's calling himself Ice Cube, but he went to college for what I believe was either uh, one semester or a full year, I'm not quite sure which, um, to, to study architectural drafting, okay? Mm. So Cube, interested in architecture, interested in design, design, architecture, music, words, all of these things require... Sure. certain sensibilities that converge cadence and rhythm and structure and pace and you know thinking about spatial relationships and so cube from day one he understands all this stuff so it's one of the great uh professional relationships of my of my life nice. uh not only because cube is cube but because he gets into it and he gets so much joy out of it um i spent the day with him uh in january so just not that long ago, um, late January out in L.A., we will usually meet. I mean, we meet during the course of the season and we email 8,000 times a day when things are hot and heavy. 
But um, working with him is an incredible joy because he just, it's infectious. His love for this and his critical look at things make me do what I do um, better. And yeah, and I, I always thought, I said it before, you know, design is a very collaborative thing. Having somebody uh, as your collaborative partner like that, who makes you better, makes you look at things a little bit differently um, and has this big vision is just awesome. Real quick, talk sure. about Iverson. Uh, I was at the initial press conference in New York, January 2017. <laughs> Iverson's there, and I was under the basket at Barclays in late June 2017 uh, when Big Three kicked off uh, first game. So Iverson played a couple of games, and I went to go see. I went to go see their first practice. Chelsea Pierce in Manhattan, and I am probably four feet away from Allen Iverson. And I'm just looking, he has these ankles that like, you ever see, you know, a greyhound, right? Like these incredibly skinny. And I'm like, oh my God, he looks so fragile. And, uh, but to have his excellence and credibility attached to this venture right out of the gate, whether he performed at peak Iverson or not, he was never gonna, but uh, he, he lent huge credibility to the venture. And one of the teams is called Three's Company. We think about like the, but it is number three's company, like a factory that Alan Iverson, you know, was responsible for. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask you because in basketball, almost like the Super Bowl, you have the design for the Basketball Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, and, and it's that's insane. Well, it's, it's interesting. The, uh, and I actually spoke to him before, one of my dearest friends in the world guy named Don Gibson. Don Gibson was a high-ranking uh, executive at Major League Baseball, African-American guy from New York, uh, and he was a, uh, an attorney there, and he ran the business uh, at baseball for a while. Well, he departed to become CEO of the Basketball Hall of Fame in uh, 1997, and he kind of like took me with him, you know, and he mm -hmm. said, all right, I'm, we're going to build a new building. Uh, the one that is currently there. It's really like this architectural wonder. And he said, you know, we need a totally new, you know, totally new outlook on this. So it was, you know, it was quite a project working really super closely with him. Um, you know, in just, you talk about starting something from scratch. Sure. This was not quite that, but the imperative was to come up with something completely new that honored the history, but really looked forward. And the identity is still in use, which, um, you know, is, is astounding to me because it's been 25 years almost. How do you decide what projects to take and what projects to turn down? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I am selective. I would say that. Uh, I think it goes beyond money. It goes like uh, at this point in my life, having done this for so many years, you want to work with people you want to work with. You want to work with things that have the potential to have a good outcome, certainly, and that you want to feel proud to be associated with. I think there's, uh, you know, it's it's those things. Money obviously comes into, you know, we all got to keep a roof over our head. But I, I want to be involved in, you know, uh, getting some jewel projects. Um, but then again, you know, I do a lot of, um, uh, I contribute my efforts um, for charitable purposes. Uh, I'll contribute logos to good, good example would be the Josh Gibson foundation mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh. Yep. Josh Gibson's great grandson is a guy named Sean Gibson and he runs a charitable foundation in Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, I will always be there for him to contribute uh, a commemorative logo. This year is the 50th anniversary of Josh's induction into the baseball hall of fame. Mm. Just did something based on that. So, awesome. you know, you, you gotta you gotta mix it up and do things that that you know go with both heart and head. I think. So Hall of Fame, Super Bowls, Big Threes, philanthropy. Is there something that's on your list that you haven't touched yet? Japanese baseball. No. Yeah. I. I've never been. I want an excuse, cheats to go to uh, to Japan and soak sure. in the culture and talk. You know. I would love a little bit of a different challenge every now and then. Sure. And that would seem like it would be uh, a, a great different kind of challenge in every conceivable sense. I want to be kind of, uh, you know, 
a little slap upside the head, like, okay, you think you know how to do something, right? Think, rethink it because you need to recalibrate. So I think it would be a really interesting, different creative challenge. That's awesome. Now, now is there, is there any inroads? Is, is something going to happen here? No, I mean, just, <laughs> I, I probably know somebody somewhere, but absolutely. You know. Todd, what? this is, this has been great. Uh, you are not only obviously all the stuff that we've just previously mentioned, you are also an author. Uh, I have one of your books here, Winning Ugly. I know you've written some others. Um, it's almost full circle, right? If you started uh, in the book industry and then you're you're making your own books, it's really yeah. exciting. Todd, really quickly, tell people where they can find your, your work, your books, uh, how they can follow you. Um, we didn't even get, actually, one of the things that I saw recently that came on my radar was you in this chair doing the interview and talking yeah. uh, about Negro League, I guess the collaboration with Lids. I've gone broke buying the Lids Negro League collection already, so you you've got a big part of that. Uh, but where can people <laughs> where can people find you? Yeah, so real quick, just uh, on the Lids front, I do work with Lids as a brand ambassador. Uh, was just out in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago. Sat down and interviewed my good friend Bob Kendrick, who I've known for 25 years. What an, amazing, the- what an amazing leader! What an amazing yeah, leader. I, I absolutely, and I've known him for you know for years and years and years. Knew Buck O'Neill a little bit, um, you know, so I'm a friend of the museum. So to have the opportunity to uh, sit and actually be on the other side of the camera uh, and and chop it up with him and and be involved with that project. It's called They Gave Us Game, Mm -hmm. and it involves, as you said, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Black Fives, which is all about the early history of African-American basketball, and the great Harlem Globetrotters. So that's kind of cool and great product in there. But to your point, find me, my website, toddradom.com, T-O-D-D-R-A-D-O-M, and that's also my handle on Instagram and on Twitter, and uh, love social media, love, you know, Love seeing what people have to say, especially when it's good. And, you know, <laughs> really have enjoyed being with you here today. Todd, thank you so much. Uh, everybody go give Todd a follow, check him out, buy a book and check out all the stuff that he's doing because uh, it is truly phenomenal. Thank you. This thank is, you, This is the Cheats Movement Podcast. We are on the Family Podcast Network, and we will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I'd like to thank Todd. Please make sure you go follow everything that Todd has, social media, Twitter, Instagram, everything. He is phenomenal. And also, while you're at it, make sure you're following the Family Podcast Network. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. The Family Podcast Network. Go to the URL. Subscribe to our newsletter. We have new information coming on the website every week, so you don't want to miss it. This has been a wonderful, wonderful episode. We'll be back sooner than you think because we've got some amazing episodes coming up. So make sure you're locked in. Make sure you follow the Family Podcast Network. Until next time, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play living. Right. See you at the airport.